well next Give me good. Oh, yeah, that's that's good. I like that. Yeah, perfect. We can definitely work with that. Gary, I'm going to introduce the show, but I'm going to let you uh, take over after that. Um, Artem is your friend. All right. So, because Gary doesn't have friends. Uh, other than that, no, he doesn't. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see how this is going to go with you know, the banter. This is, this is my <laughs> world, man. It's like being in the military again. Hang on. Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. I am joined today by my not friend, Gary. How are you doing today, brother? <laughs> I'm great. Great. Great intro. And we're also, um, you want to introduce our guest today? Yes. Uh, this is Artem Lobov, MMA fighter, entrepreneur, bare-knuckle fighter, world traveler. I could list 30 other things, but welcome. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks very much, Gary. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. Um, I know, uh, where are you in Ireland right now? Yes, in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, excellent. I know you have a ton going on. Um, there's a lot, you know, in the past to talk about, but just a quick background. I produce a show called The Ultimate Fighter for the UFC. Arnhem was one of the fighters that competed um, on season 21 of the show, which was Conor McGregor and Uriah Faber as the coach. Um, he's been fighting MMA, bare knuckle and, and any kind of, you know, combat sport there is before and after that. So, um, knowledge of all of those things is, is grand. Um, I think people always ask me about bare knuckle. So, and like that, you know, that compared to MMA safety, excitement, all those things. So I don't want to talk a ton about it, you know, like the comparison, but rarely do we get to talk to someone that's done both. So kind of. What do you like more? What are the, the pros and cons of each? You know, anything like that that you want to touch on? Yeah, I think educating people on the differences between the two is very important because there's a lot of misunderstanding for the brutality um, for each one of them, you know, respectively. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I like I like both, you know, for, for different reasons. Uh, for MMA, for example, um, uh, the reason I love MMA is because it is the most complete martial art you know uh, mma fighter you know he can he can hang with anyone you know even nowadays when people talk about cross fights you know cross promotion fight it's the mma guy that has to go right which rules are we doing but kickboxing all right we're grappling let's go wrestling okay boxing let's do it you know a boxer couldn't do that k1 guy couldn't do that nobody else could ever do that you know only an mma guy uh, MMA fighter is in a position to say that and to be able to cross, you know, uh, fight in any uh, discipline. So for that reason, you know, to me, that that I love, you know, martial arts is the most complete, you know, martial art. Um, for bare knuckle, for example, I love it for for its excitement, you know, for the element of uh, um, how how exciting it is, how brutal it is. There is never a boring fight. Uh, it's easy to explain, you know. Uh, for example, you, if you are watching like an MMA fight, you know, and some and somebody, uh, your friend that's never seen MMA before, you know, you have to really pick a certain fighter, you know, to to show them so that they would like the sport. Let's say you show them Ben Askren fight. You know, the guy is your friend is falling asleep in two minutes and he's never going to watch MMA again. You know, it's boring as fuck. So you need to really be selective. <laughs> Sanderson Silva, Conor McGregor. Bare knuckle is not the case. I could stick any fight on and it's going to be exciting. It's very easy for people to understand. You know, we, we, we understand easy when two guys are punching each other in the face and there's blood everywhere, you know. That this is what we love. You it's know? primal. It's primal, exactly. And it's, you know, people will say, oh, it's too violent as this. But the reality of life is that fighting is the only sport that's actually in our DNA. You know, every other sport was was created for 
for whatever reason, but uh, fighting is in our blood. You know, if you're walking through a park and you see people play football, you see people play basketball, and then the fight breaks out, what is everyone going to watch? Everyone is going to watch a fight, you know. Uh, but, you know, down back in the day, you know, people quickly realized that not everybody wanted to fight. Not everybody wanted to be, you know, broken and battered and, and cut up, you know. And they realized that recovery is very long and, you know, some people had fear and also they said, okay, let's come up with something else. Let's see who can throw this ball the farthest. Let's see who can fucking, let's 11 of us chase after the same ball or whatever. 22 of us chase after the same ball, you know. And that's why those sports were created. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not good or whatever, very interesting. I love many sports myself watching, but the true sport where all this competition began and started is fighting. That's where all the competition starts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we had coliseums dedicated to it. So that's why I love fighting. Two men or two women at the peak of their physical prowess, you know, or their their careers, having the opportunity to test themselves to that degree, you know, it's artistic. Gary brought this up to me before because a lot of a lot of people misunderstand what fighting is and I myself a, a bit as well not from the, you know being ignorant to what it actually is but the background of the artistic piece of it the the way that things are meshed together between like you were explaining in MMA you have multiple disciplines but those multiple disciplines are also they're rooted in religions they're rooted in you know, ways of life and mindfulness and meditation and all these different things. And when you get two people that have taken all that time into the ring together, you're really getting a chance to see something that it can't be compared to anything else. Right. And uh, there's a bond when two people fight each other. A lot of times leading up to the fight, they got all kind of beef and everything and they'll hug it out and become friends after because they know what went in there. They know the pain of the win, the loss, the, the training, you know, and you never know anybody more than sticking them in a cage with the other man and seeing who breaks first. And no matter how much you hate them, you'll respect them afterwards. You know, I, I firmly believe that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, you need your opponent, you know, but at the end of the day, no matter what happens, when you go home, he's and your family are fed, you know, you're, you're helping each other provide for your loved ones, you know? So how can you, mm. how can you have hate for a guy like that? Or it's all said and done. You guys have the same destination of mind, greatness and support for your friends and family. That's right. Yeah. You know, and the brutality you, you spoke of, you know, I debate this quite often with people usually that don't know, but, you know, they'll see somebody very bloody after a bare knuckle fight, but, you know, it's not as bad. Lengthwise, a 12 round boxing fight where your brain's getting scrambled is much worse than a few cuts on the forehead in over four rounds. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the big thing here is, um, uh, well, number one, uh, fighting time. You know, uh, in bare knuckle, you only have five two-minute rounds. In boxing, you know, you're fighting for 36 minutes straight, you know, uh, MMA 25 minutes, you know, uh, if it's a title fight. So uh, that, of course, is, uh, you know, your brain is going to be better off if it's only getting punched for 10 minutes instead of 36 minutes or instead of 25 minutes, you know. Um, on top of that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, bare knuckle, it's, it's so, so painful. Yeah. What about the bare shin to the head? What about the bare elbow to the head? What about the bare knee to your head? What about when the guy is sitting on top of you and you're lying on the floor, he's in mount and he's punching you in the face and there is nowhere for your head to go. So he is literally nailing your head into the canvas. You want to tell me that that's good? I mean, that's that's just the reality of fighting. You know, it's uh, brain is not there; is not designed to be punched. You know, uh, um, 
but but that's just what we're doing. No, it's actually sitting in a bag of water. Yeah, it's actually kind of is. It's sitting in a bag of water getting slapped against the side. Exactly. And that's another thing. Yeah. And that's, that's another reason why, yeah, a fighting time is so crucial. Because when you fight, the longer you fight, the more dehydrated you become. And the little protection that your brain has goes away. Holy you know, shit. the more dehydrated you become. So when it's around, you know, 12, around 10, 11, 12 in boxing, you know, you've been fighting, you know, uh, for half an hour. You're, you're so dehydrated that there is almost no protection for your brain, you know. Uh, so that that's a, a very big factor also. I never knew that. Yeah. That's a huge, huge deal. Absolutely. Especially if you cut a lot of weight. That's why weight cutting is is another issue as well. That that's to do with that. Mm, yeah. That's brutal. Weight cutting is brutal. It's the worst part, I think. You know, I've I've seen more bad injuries or death in weight cutting than in the actual yeah. fights. I think throughout the years. Yeah, especially I'd say in the Ultimate Fighter. You know, because Ultimate Fighter, these guys are you know they come from all sorts of places. You know, many of them have never even heard of proper weight cutting, never heard of proper diet or anything. You know, so I'd say you got to see some some crazy um, uh, stuff on the Ultimate Fighter. I remember, I can't remember what what the season it was, but I remember one guy was weight cutting, and uh, they go into the shower. He went into the shower to freshen up. And uh, come on, you have to come out and and make the weight. He says, no, I can't. I've been drinking shower water. <laughs> God, that's disgusting. So while he was showering, he was drinking water, you know. The it's uh, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> desperation. Like, it's uh, yeah. Guys cutting twenty three pounds in a day, and you know, it's uh, we have medical people on staff on the Ultimate Fighter, and it's like it's always how because a fighter's gonna ninety nine percent of fighters are gonna cut till they pass out in this in this world. You know, some will quit, but because there's shame involved in not making weight. Yeah, you don't want to not make weight. I mean, that's even for like high school wrestling. Yeah is where that starts getting put into your mind. You don't, you don't not make weight because that looks like it's almost like you didn't show up for the fight or that you're not good enough. You know, it's a weird when you say shame, but I'm telling you when you're in that state and you feel like you're dying, you suddenly don't feel no shame. You know, I've seen people, they don't care. Take all my money, whatever. Just let me stop cutting weight. You know, I've seen coaches having to, barricade the door into the fucking soul, you know, not allowing the guy to, to come out, you know, Holy shit. forcing him to train. But yeah, it's like that coach, that's the coach has yeah. to know what that fighter needs. Cause a lot of times that fighter will be so mad if the coach doesn't do that, they let him quit. And you know, once they're back about their faculties, they'll be super mad that yeah. they didn't force him to stay. You know, it's a, it's a crazy world we live in. I mean, it's uh, I, I could tell stories forever. Wow. To have somebody else monitoring your limitations and telling you that you have more in a situation like that requires a lot of trust the only thing that's monitoring me in that situation is the fucking scale until i see what i want to see on that scale i ain't coming out and i'm not stopping the weight cut that's why people love you yeah i mean i think i was going to bring that up you know uh, like just just <laughs> well, toughness you know it's a tough man sport and you know, at one point, I think when you came on the Ultimate Fighter, your record was close to even, and people, you know, questioned that. And after watching you fight one or two times, they realized that yeah, it was because you took the tough fights. You didn't pad your shit at any time. You took the toughest fight available to you your whole career. And in boxing, they would you would just they wouldn't even have you around after two, three, four losses. But they'd let some cupcake just keep fighting pop cans and like build his record up. But I've never heard of this guy turning down a fight. You know, he would fought for the championship, his first fight in the UFC, if they would have let him, you know, he'd fight twice in a row, you know, and it's just people respect that more in the MMA, like boxing, you get it lost 100%. and hate you and like you're done. MMA, we don't really care that much like about that. If, you know, if you're ready to go to war, it's always an underdog story. 
Yeah, but you know what, Gary, if you remember, I remember it was uh, Kamzat when Kamzat, you know, started fighting in the UFC and he had like a lot of fights very close by and people are going, oh my God, oh my God, that's so impressive. Well, have they forgotten about the ultimate fighter? I fought four times in six weeks, you know what I mean? Winning three of those by knockouts. My last fight, I had 20 stitches in my face and I asked to the, the doctor, I said, look, should I take them out before the fight? And he looked at me and said, I don't know, leave them in, it's, it's you know, it's going to hold it together better. Amazing. So, you know what I mean? It's look, of course, it's very impressive what Kyle has been. He's looked incredible in the fights, but you know, don't forget the, about the Ultimate Fighter guys. You know, they're fighting a lot more often yeah. and a lot closer together. You know, I have a question. Um, you bring up the cuts and the bleeding and that type of situation. For most people, the sight of blood or being in a scenario where they've been struck and they are bleeding. There's a fight or flight scenario or they panic or they can't keep their wits about them. How does a fighter remain mindful, not knowing the degree with which they've been cut in the middle of a round and continue to fight forward? What is that like mentally? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I, I never really like if you get cut or you just kind of, okay, I'm cut or whatever, it's blood coming. You don't really worry about it too much. I mean, you've got plenty more to worry about in there. You know, there's still punches coming at you. You know, with the other guy, especially when the other guy says blood, now he's going to, you know, aim even more for this side, potentially, you know, and uh, so it's kind of just one of those things, you know, you bleed all the time, so it's, it's no biggie to you, you know, whatever, you know, you got cut, so what? For me, like, for example, I get cut really easy, yeah, you know? I think you could see, you know, afterwards is a lot different. Yeah, yeah, well, that afterwards, yeah, it's different, and especially bare knuckle. What causes that? Why are some people more susceptible? Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't really know. Some people say, like, I guess it's just skin type or whatever. I always cut really easily, you know, and people always say, oh no, the scar tissue is going to, you know, it's going to cut worse. I'm like, well, hold on a second. For 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 it to be a scar tissue there, that means that you must have gotten cut anyway without a scar tissue. <laughs> you get cut regardless, you know, so what's what's the difference? You know, I never really worried about the scar tissue. But uh, talking about scar tissue, after my first bare knuckle fight, I, I got 40 stitches in my face. Uh, you know, after 10 minutes of fighting, you know, all thanks to Jason Knight. Yeah, those pictures made it all over the world. I mean, those were gruesome. I mean, his face looked worse than yours. And you're, you know, is that's, you know, that's where bare knuckle looks worse. But you, even to this day, you'd probably rather do that than go 12 rounds with him with 10 ounce gloves and just scramble each other's brains, it's, you know, especially when you're older. And, you know, it's how long is that headache? Which one, the bare knuckle one? Nobody ever mentions that, like the 12 rounds of a 10 ounce glove to the head over and over again. How long do you have a headache after that? Cause you said the recovery time can't imagine, but that that's bad. But you know, what's worse, worse is the camp leading up to that fight. So for you to get ready for those 12 rounds, how many 12 inspires have you done leading up to that? You know what I mean? That's hundreds of rounds, hundreds and hundreds of rounds, you know, and you also in the sparring, sometimes you'll have fresh guy come in. So you do, let's say four rounds, fresh guy comes in, another four rounds, another fresh guy. So, you know what I mean? You're constantly fighting this, you know, fresh guys, constantly getting, you know, uh, brain damage. And uh, yeah, the, the results are, you know, devastating. You know, 20% uh, of boxers retire with permanent brain damage, you know? Uh, mm. And the, the longer you spend in the sport, uh, the bigger your chances of ending up amongst those numbers. So that was one of the big reasons for my uh, retirement. Yeah, you left early. Yeah. Uh, well, to me, you know, I was, uh, my last fight was against the uh, Olympic silver medalist, you know, undefeated boxer, uh, Dennis Berinchuk. And obviously, have I won that fight? My plans were very big. You know, I was aiming to go into boxing. You know, my 
my sort of uh, selling pitch would have been, look, I've defeated uh, Poly Malinaji, two-time world boxing champion. I defeated an Olympic silver medalist. Well, let me, you know, and I'm doing it without the gloves on, so let me do it with pillows on my hands, you know. Let me see how I, you know, match up against these boxers. But, of course, you know, I lost the fight, so uh, that didn't happen. I could have gone back and tried to start everything again, build it up again, you know, get, take some fights. I probably would have had to take a bit of a pay cut as well. And I was like, no, you know, the the risks... Uh, way too high for me to mess around with that. I'm a father now. I want to be a good father. I want to be a capable father. I want to be a good grandfather one day. So I said, look, I better cut my losses short here, quit and concentrate, put my effort into something else. Let's talk about that. Something else. Before we came on, you were discussing this passion about uh, whiskey and you were authoring an upcoming book. You want to tell us about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm currently, as I mentioned, uh, doing a book about my life. Uh, the reason I decided to do the book now, I kind of felt like now that I've finished my career, I'm slowly uh, kind of, you know, people are forgetting me slowly and I enjoy it as well. You know, I'm starting to live just a normal family, quiet, peaceful life. But obviously when I do the book, I expect there to be another kind of splash, media splash and the attention and all this. So I want to kind of do it now at the end of the career, one last big splash. And then I'll sail off into obscurity, into quietness, into silence, you know, and just enjoy uh, my life and rear my kids. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I've had, I've had a crazy life story because I even when I was, when you live through this moment yourself, you don't really realize how maybe weird or special or unique or interesting they are to other people because you just live through them. So it feels normal. But now that I kind of sat down and I'm talking to my ghostwriter, you know, uh, Pizzi Carl, uh, I'm telling him all the stories like, holy shit, Artem, I said, I've read so many books and I've never heard, you know, uh, crazy stories like that. He's like, your, your life story is like Forrest Gump, you know, where you have all these different, you know, stories that are connected, some are not connected and um, they're absolutely crazy. So I would like to share uh, some of the stories with you, some of the kind of, I guess, interesting stories, although all of them are very interesting, but um I had to pick some, and uh, one interesting one that um, not many people know, uh, in fact, very, very few people know. Obviously, everybody knows uh, Connor's Whiskey, Proper 12, but very few people know that it was actually my idea to to do a whiskey, and this was my deal that I worked on for a long time, and uh, I was myself who put that deal together. And the way that happened was, I uh, when I was studying in college, uh, when I was doing my yeah, when I was doing my bachelor's uh, degree in business, in my last year, uh, we've done a big presentation on uh, Cooley Whiskey Distillery. It's an Irish whiskey distillery. And so when I was doing that, I did a lot of research about Irish whiskey and I about the history and where it was now. And I saw a massive potential there because Irish whiskey used to dominate the whiskey world. You know, there was hundreds of uh, distilleries in Ireland. But because of the negative influence that England always had on Ireland and uh, the fact that they controlled all the trading uh, routes and uh, uh, from, let's say, 400 down to just two, they basically nearly annihilated the Irish uh, whiskey trade altogether. But then from the 90s, Irish whiskey started making a comeback. And for the last 30 years, Irish whiskey has been growing consistently between 10 and 15% every year. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's not really much competition among Irish whiskey. There was very, very few distilleries. And uh, the main ones, actually, Jameson, they had the majority share. And, and it wasn't for the fact that they were such good quality. It was just that there's no one else there, you know. And to me, straight away, when I, I knew that, I, I realized, okay, Connor, what a better man than Connor 
uh, to lead, you know, he already made the, you know, the Fighting Irish, brought the Fighting Irish back, and I thought, okay, the whiskey would be perfect. On top of that, Connor's fight name is the Notorious, and Irish whiskey historically has been very, very notorious because during the uh, Prohibition era, uh, the Irish would buy weapons from U.S. with whiskey. They would send Irish whiskey to U.S., and U.S. would send weapons oh, back to Ireland so that the Irish could fight the English, you know. So uh, I was like, wow, you know, this, this is just perfect. So uh, after uh, Diaz 2 fight, we were in the gym and Connor comes over to me and he says, all right, Tim, I was talking to Thor, you know, the mountain from Game of Thrones, uh, the Icelandic guy. And he offered me to do my own vodka. You know, he says he's doing a vodka in Iceland. And he says to me that it's a good deal. And he offered it to, you know, to me to do one as well. What do you think about that? So I says, Connor, what? Hold on a second. Vodka in Iceland. I mean, can you tell me one good Icelandic vodka? Number one and number two, Iceland is a very expensive country. You know, the cost of producing that vodka are going to be through the roof, you know. And fair enough if you have to do that when the quality is also there. But, you know, there is no really any famous Icelandic vodka. We do vodka at one stage because vodka is the best-selling spirit in the world. We are going to do it. We should probably, I would look for you for a deal in Russia. But I said to him, before we go anywhere near vodka, let me tell you something about the Irish whiskey. And I tell him the history and all the stuff that I just mentioned to you. And he says to me, okay, Artem, well, then go ahead and see what you can get. See what you can, you know, uh, uh, find. And uh, so I went off on my way and... Um, uh, lucky for me as well, when I was in college, I was working in a five-star hotel bar, uh, the Radisson Hotel. And I had a friend there, you know, his name was Ivan King, still is, you know, and uh, we were bartenders, you know, we were just 18 years old. But uh, then when I left the bar and obviously started fighting, but he continued his hospitality journey and became a general manager in the hotel. So uh, he had all the connections as well in that industry. And he put me in touch with the guy called uh, Niall uh, Condon of uh, Classic Drinks. <clears throat> this guy had his own distribution company in Ireland. So he had contacts with all the whiskey distilleries and uh, everything about Irish whiskeys. So me and him met in the Radisson. We sat down. He was very, very generous with his time and information. And we kind of spoke about all the different whiskey distilleries and what they represent, the quality of their whiskey. And uh, he helped me pick, you know, the best uh, uh whiskey uh, that would be suitable for the deal you know uh, for our deal so i started meeting all the different whiskey distilleries uh, i went and spoke with all of them and you know saw what can be got there and i then narrowed it down to just one uh put the deal together i met them you know, I put the deal together, and once I had the deal ready, I contacted Connor and said, "Okay, Connor, I have something very, very special here. This is going to be a multi-billion-dollar deal. This is no joke, uh, because I had seen a similar uh, deals done for vodka, for example, and they were all in the billions, you know, 500 million, a billion. But vodka, you know, it's everywhere, and vodka can be made in any country in the world. Irish whiskey can only be made in Ireland, which is a tiny place, only has a very few distillers, but the whole world wants it. So I was saying all this to Connor. I said, right, this is perfect. He then told me to contact his team, you know, at Paradigm and Audi and share all my information with them, uh, which I did. And we got working then and, you know, worked out the details of the deal. And, uh, and uh, you've seen it yourself, uh, how successful it was, you know. That's an amazing story. And I, I want to uh, kind of ask a question on uh, piggybacking that. You've been in Ireland for forever. And it sounds like, you're getting the opportunity to give Ireland something back. And I hear the passion in your voice when you describe that this comes from Ireland, this belongs to Ireland. This was Ireland's to begin with. 
Is that part of what this was to you? Was it a chance to give Ireland something they deserved? Absolutely. You know, to me, Ireland, um, you know, I came here, you know, 15, 16 year old, you know, teenager, um, and I have seen nothing but respect and love and welcome, you know, from the Irish people. You know, when I was knocking on doors of different businesses looking for a job, you know, Bridge Pond said, all right, you want a job, kid? Come in here. And when I did do my job, you know, they never fucked me over or nothing like that. You've done your job good. Here's your cash, you know. And um, they paid me the same as everybody else. You know, they never tried to, you know, uh, uh, fuck me over or nothing like that. You know, they always treated me with respect and love, you know. And now after so many years here, you know, I proudly call Ireland my home. And if something is important to the people of Ireland, then it is important to me. Uh, so definitely, I definitely wanted to play a part in this uh, uh, whiskey story. And not only that, I will tell you more. Um, it was so important to me and so uh, big for me that I didn't even take any money for this deal. You know, even though it was my deal, you know, Connor offered me $1 million and I turned it down. You know, uh, there's more to the story. You know, I don't want to share all the information here because you know i've got a book to release and i still wanted to do well but uh yeah um, I, I turned down a million dollars when it was uh, put right in front of me you know so uh but it's a very very special deal for me the passion says it all i would have to say um i've interviewed artem a lot of times and he's one of those guys where i have 12 questions and then he just answers them all before i even have to and you know have to ask them which is you know it's like i mean probably interviewed you a hundred times before an ultimate fighter and everything but just to give it some context for people that don't know um, why you're speaking of Connor so much, um, you guys have been longtime friends, training partners. He helped you get ready for all your fights. You helped him get ready for all his fights. So you have plenty of crazy stories of your own. You had on the crazy stories involving Connor. Obviously, that's going to be a great book. You know, I mean, I hope you send me a copy immediately and I can buy that because I will read it even though I've seen most of them. Oh, yeah, I won't say it too. Yeah, the... Definitely one one. As far as Ireland goes, when I met Absolutely. you and called you Russian, like right off the bat, you corrected me, you know, I'm from Ireland, you know, and then you explained your story to me, you know, and how you got there and what you wanted to represent both of them equally. So exactly. I've always respected that. Absolutely, guy. Born in Russia, forced in Ireland, you know, as you see, I've always carried both flags with me, you know, I always, you know, raise both flags at the same time, you know, obviously Russia, this is my home, that's where I was born, you know, and uh, I'm always, you know, proud of that, uh, but, you know, Ireland has become my new home now as well, you know, my my sister was born in Ireland, my son was born in Ireland, you know, I've been here so many years, you know, like I said, I proudly call Ireland my home, and uh, I love both nations, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, I can't pick between one or the other, you know, that's just, that's, that's me, and that's it, it's like my mom and dad. You shouldn't have it. to. You yeah. shouldn't have to. And one of the things I want to point out is that when someone has such a passion for a place that they are, they're expressing gratitude. And what I hear is that you were grateful for the people that you were surrounded with in the moment, not after the fact, not you're not doing the book because of that. You recognize it then and you want to give it back to them later. And I, I think that that's super awesome. Um, I just want to commend you for it because a lot of people don't recognize that they're in a good situation when they're there. They're too preoccupied with everything else that's going wrong and not recognizing that people are there supporting you. Yeah. Yep. Even, even when we were on the show and you guys would complain every day, you know, I, I wanted a filet and I only got a T-bone and I want, you know, you know, he would just shake his head and be like, what the fuck? Like you write something on a list. It comes 12 hours later. Like, why are these guys complaining? You know? And then it's usually the guys that have a lot of success aren't the complainers. You know, they're the ones that get to work and they're not complaining about getting gummy bears instead of gummy worms. You know, they're, getting ready to go to the gym you know but there's honestly there was nothing to complain about i won't even that house i literally was like guys is there any way i can just live here can i just stay for another few seasons 
I mean, what's not to fucking like? Right. Food is much, you're in a beautiful <laughs> mansion, you know, that has everything. You're driven to training and all, and, and, and train, <laughs> eat, sleep, and fight. Fucking hell. Like, what? The only thing that, that was missing there was the women. That, that's honestly, that's the only thing that's kind of, you know, a bit hard. But everything else, Jesus, paradise. Like, let me fucking live in that house forever. That means that they're not there for the same reason. The person that it recognizes the fact that it is a place that they can exercise all of their freedoms with the sport that they love the most in an environment where they don't have any other responsibility, they're grateful for it. Somebody that is not doing it for that reason, they're being inauthentic. They found that fighting is something that they're kind of good at, or they might be good at. So they're there. They're not fully focused like someone like yourself. They're fully focused on what else they're going to get with it. What is going to give them that last piece of high that fighting isn't giving them that is giving you. I think, uh, you could always tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially nowadays that has become so big. Like people want to do it for the money or whatever. They think, oh my God, look at all the money it's coming. And that's, yeah, if, if that's your motivation, just money to do fighting, you ain't going to make it. You're not going to succeed. You know, it, it, it's a crazy, uh, sport that you have to love. You know, you have to like, for me, I couldn't think of nothing else. You know, I'd be working in the bank. I remember, and I'd be sitting in the bank dreaming of all my fights, you know, how I would be in the cage again. I can't wait to be in that octagon, you know, throwing, uh, you know, shots and just, you know, thinking about all the different sequences, you know, and everything that I've done, inspiring and training and different fights. I, I just literally like i couldn't think of nothing else you know when the, the moment came um and for example when connor asked me to come over to vegas for the first time we we're going to vegas for the first time to help him prepare uh, for the poor fight you know i i quit my job you know in the bank i was like it was a no-brainer to me and it was actually funny because i went to tell my manager that i'm going to quit because i had used up all my holidays already so i was like okay well i don't have any more holidays so i have to quit so i came up i met with him and i said look i'm going to quit you know i have a massive opportunity i can't turn it down you know this is my friend so i have to go and help him so the manager goes oh no no look you don't have to quit just you know take time off and paid leave or whatever but when you come back the job is here you know you're a good worker you know we want you back and i just thought about it for a second i was like uh, if I don't quit, I'll never commit to it 100%. I said, no, fuck this. I That's quit. That's perfect. And that was it. And, and I didn't look back. Not only that, when actually, when I quit my job, you know, because Ireland is a, is a very developed country, you know, their social welfare system is very good here, you know. But when I quit my job and I had no income coming in, I, I, I on purpose didn't sign up for social welfare. You know, I wanted to burn all my ships. I didn't want it to be some safety cushion or nothing for me. I was like, no, fuck it make it or break it you know make it or die trying that was my mentality so i just went fuck for yeah. it that's how you fight fuck yeah it's not comparable but i get exactly what you mean because when you real when you're really passionate about something a safety net is no more it's just an excuse to not put everything into it and uh, for me podcasting was kind of that thing where we took a small break when we were revamping the brand and, and putting uh, everything together. And during that four months, my entire mind was still at podcasting. It was living there. It was dreaming about it. It was thinking about when am I going to be back behind the mic? When do I get to talk to amazing people like you? All that type of thing. And I like to point out at moments throughout the show where people can take advice from a, a particular scenario. And I feel like we need to embrace the place that our mind keeps going when we're doing the monotonous and mundane. The destination that you're supposed to get to is the one that you're thinking about all the time while you're doing the endless mountain of cyclical bullshit. Yeah. Yep. And you got to go you for don't it. don't regret that. Yep. And you're doing it again with your authorship. 
you know, I think uh, I was going to ask you what else you got going on because I know you have, uh, you know, you, he, he's the kind of guy that's always thinking ahead but living in the moment, which is kind of like how I want to live my life. I want to enjoy today, but not stick myself in a spot. So I know you have plans, you know, two, three, and four moving forward. Is there anything else, you know, that you want to talk about that, you know, is popping up or, you know, anything that you got going? Yeah, I'm uh, at the moment as well, actually working on um, um, on a, um, a apparel brand. Um, yeah, it's called Max Life. So almost like Max Life, except Max Life. Uh, it's it's kind of a brand that's, and the name as well comes with, you know, Max Life, getting the max out of your life. You know, it's kind of clothing that you can, uh, it's, you know, at, it's called at leisure, you know, athletic and leisure. You know, it's kind of the clothing that you can show up to a, some business meeting in, you know, quick or, or go for a coffee with your family, then jump in the car, go to the gym. You know, it's kind of sporty, but it, you don't look like you're, you know, you, you turned up to a Manchester United training or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's, it's sporty yet stylish. Uh, and that's what I like. You know, I, I've tried uh, my hand at apparel before, which was called Vesuvius, and that flopped completely, but I learned some very, very valuable lessons. So the first thing I did this time is hire an expert, you know, an expert designer. Um, uh, this guy, we hired Tim uh, Winterbottom, his name is, he's a very, very experienced guy. He's the guy responsible for the success of Jim King. And uh, somehow those guys didn't secure him and he was available. As soon as I heard that, I was like, right, I want this guy. So uh, we got him on team. We have an investor, you know, that's putting the money behind it. And then obviously myself, you know, that helping with the marketing and everything else. We've been working on it for a year now, you know, uh, and the way I'm hoping to launch, you know, September, October. Uh, and it's going to be good. You know, uh, the, the, the samples and everything we're receiving now, it's honestly on point. We left no stone unturned. In fact, I'll tell you more. When, when the investor approached me uh, he already had the brand and logo designed but when uh, he wanted me on board he showed me all his he was just starting showed me all his gear and everything and i said look i don't like this you know if you want me on board i don't like the quality on this and i brought in my guy team the designer i showed him that he said the same thing said artem this does look great i mean we could potentially sell it so i said not a chance uh there was a hundred i love that it was a hundred thousand euros worth of merchandise there and i made the investor throw it all out i said we either throw this out and start from scratch the right way or i'm not getting involved i said look i understand that you might not want to waste the money and you want to continue with it but i won't be part of it you know i want to wear something that i'm proud of that it feels good for me to wear and uh, i know that it's going to be a success so we threw out 100 grand worth of clothing and started from scratch been going at it for a year and I cannot wait to launch and show the world what we've been working on. I need to get some of that stuff. I love that. I got a garage full of mics for that exact reason. Number one, <laughs> number two, um, what does max life mean to you? Yeah. Max life is getting, you know, the maximum out of your life, you know, clothing that you can wear anywhere and clothing that will make you look good and not out of place in any situation. You know, uh, you're ready for anything. You're ready to enjoy life to the fullest max life. Let's do it. Yeah, that's uh, my company's called Max Glow, and we have the exact same philosophy. You know, it's, it's the same thing in any situation. I want to get the best out of people that I work with. And, you know, as a promotion company, yeah. I want to take somebody's talents and, and give it you know, them the maximum potential to, you know, glow for the whole world, whether they're a fighter or artist or musician. I think, yeah, like you talk about burning the ships, you know, if you don't do that, you're not going to get the max out of anything. You know, I'm not telling everybody that five kids to go quit their job right now. They don't have the plan, but if you have a passion and you, and you think it's attainable at all, at some point, you got to say fuck it and go because when you're laying on that deathbed or an old man, you're not going to be 
like, oh man, I really wish I didn't go for my dreams. You're going to be like, fuck, yep. like mm -hmm. I had the chance. I didn't do it. Every time I go for something, yep. if I fail, the next thing pops up or that gives me one more connection or one more idea. And then that one pops up. Yep. The for fortune favors the authentic and the bold. Yeah. And they, you attract what you, you know, we, we, in the hood, we say you get it how you live it. You know, if you're violent and you're a gangster, you're going to get it like that. If you're a priest or a preacher, you're going to get it like that. If you go for it, you're going to get around other people that go for it. And I think that's why me and Artem have been friends. You know, we probably talked about business and shit like that more than fighting when we were yeah. in the house and since, and just, you know, we're both creative and, you know, we want to do better for our families. And, you know, like, I think that's, that's how it is. You know, a lot of people are just cool with where they're at. And then if whatever thing they're doing ends, they got nothing to go for, or they don't believe in themselves and the ability you know, to do something. I have friends all the time. I want to start this brand. I want to start that. I want to do this. And they just want someone to come and do it for them. Really? It's exactly what you it know, is. or it, it not put, you know, not put the work in. And I appreciate the quality, you know, like you could have mass produced bullshit and took that hundred thousand dollars at somebody else's money and put it out there. And, you know, nine out of 10 people would have not done that too. So you found the right partner that was willing to be like, okay, this guy's yeah. passionate. He knows what he's talking about. Most people have been like, fuck off. I'm taking this to the next guy down the road. So you know, I'd say stick with that guy and you guys are going to be successful. Definitely. That's, that's the plan, Gary. Thank you very much. I'm going to give you my address too. Man. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, <laughs> I definitely want some of that gear, man. You had me, you had me at any, at any scenario. Like I am all about elastic now. Like why the hell do we have anything that requires a belt? Didn't we figure out after quarantine that yeah. the world does not need suits anymore? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest. I hate wearing suits. You know, I, I understand that sometimes it's necessity. It's like a wedding or something. Looking but I just, you know, I don't, it's, it's not comfortable, you know, it's, I, I like to feel goy, I like to feel comfortable, you know, and I'd like to be judged by what I've got to say rather than what I've got to wear, you know. There you go. Uh, but still, that's why I said, look, it is still important though, you know, it's very important to look good. So that's why I said, look, we need to do Max Life, something that allows me to look good, uh, but feel comfortable at the same time so I can get the max out of life. Well, there you go, man. Yeah, I agree I'm with excited all that. about that and the book. And everything in between here well i tell you another story actually how, how i did, um i nearly missed the ultimate fighter trials um so what happened was um as i mentioned to you uh i quit my job and i didn't apply for social welfare so money was really really tight and i quit my job this was like september and the uh, ultimate fighter trials were in may um so by then I had like very, very little money left. And I remember they announced the tryouts. They announced my weight class. I was like, lovely. Well, actually one weight class above, but that's how you normally do a Wismuth fighter anyway. So I bought the, the cheapest tickets I could find. It was fucking Air Canada going fucking to our sways, but it didn't matter. You know, I knew I was going to get there. Next thing you know, these motherfuckers, you know, changed the date. But obviously my tickets is the cheapest one on the market. So I can't, it's non-refundable. I can't exchange the fucking thing. And I haven't got another cent to my name to buy a new one. So I'm sitting at home, holding my head, nearly crying. You know, I messaged my coach, John, you know, I said, fucking hell, what to do? You know, I'm fucked. No, I have no money. I can't do it. You know, this was going to be, you know, my chance. And uh, Connor's uh, world tour was coming up. So John goes, well, hold on a second. Let me just quickly this Connor. He spoke to Connor and then comes back to me and said, look, don't worry about it. Connor wants you to come on the world tour with him. And he said, he'll pay for your flights and hotel when you go for the tryout. So I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I, can't, I cannot believe this, you know? Um, so then we went on the world tour, then the so world tour. It's a good thing they changed that date. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, and then I, I came in and I was doing the, the tryout, you know, but I was feeling so good because I was one of the few people. And I still done the full day of fucking tryout and it's a long ass day. But I knew obviously that I was going to be uh, in the house. I knew that Connor, you know, had put in a word uh, for me and, you know, I was guaranteed a spot. So it was such an enjoyable experience for me. I was just looking around and enjoying all this and just enjoying the tryouts, you know. Although Gary still gave me a fucking hard time in the interview, you know. Um, I'm trying to big myself up and tell about all this stuff. So I'm telling more. I, I, I bet, I bet the top 10, uh, welterweight in Germany. Uh, and, uh, even though I'm a featherweight, you know, and Gary goes and, and the guys in front of me, they don't know fighting. So they can see their eyes, you know, pop up. They're really impressed. And I'm like, yeah, fucking, you know, 15 kilos heavier than me. You know, and I'm still, you know, winning and Gary goes, Germany, what the fuck is Germany? They, they don't even have 10 fucking guys in there. How is it top 10 fighter in Germany? That means nothing. And I was like, you motherfucker. Where did they get this guy? <laughs> I'm looking, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of him. I don't know any German fighters, but like, hey, you know, it's you got to like, uh, that's just how I am. And, and that, you know, if met you five minutes ago, I know you my whole life, you're a billionaire or you're broke. I'm just going to break your balls. It's just what's going to happen. Like, you know, it's uh. <laughs> You know, one, one thing I will say is uh, I prefer that he did get, you know, onto the show. You know, some people are going to say it's because of Connor or whatever. Like he probably would have been on there. No, good. You know, yeah, maybe in your mind, because he supported you personally, but you definitely got there on your own merit. Hey, I, ha I have no issue with that. You know, to me, to me, they say whatever you got there, but hey, did I deserve to be yeah. in there? Well, have a look at the fucking show. There you go. I, I've got three knockouts. In a row, only three people have ever done that. Myself, Tony Ferguson, and Uriah Hall. And uh, all those guys were, came from uh, very good teams, you know, like they were like top teams in America. They all had, you know, regional titles. They all had much better record than me. One was 12-1, and one, one was 8-1, and one, one was 14-2. and two, And they all got knocked the fuck out by me, you know, so... To me, you know, I, I, I've proven my, my, my worth and I've proven that I've deserved yeah, I mean, to be on that show. I, I, I think I stole this from Michael Bisbing that records are for DJs. Like, I'm not, I don't care if you're 12 and one and the combined total of the guys you won is one in 30. You never fought anybody that's good. You know, I look yeah. at your record or anybody else's and yeah, of course you had a lot of fights. You didn't fight all the best guys in the world, but you look and, you know, you went and took tough fights, two weight classes above 10 days notice, you know, and that them you know in the pressure yep. cooker which is the ultimate fighter we need people that are gonna fight fight next week they're gonna fight hurt and they're not gonna just tap fuck out of the show when something doesn't go their way you know it's a different animal listen and in terms of records as well you know like to me i was like look if if let's say we have two guys and they fought the same like if you had another guy that fought the exact same guys as me and he bet them all i would be the first one to tell you of course, he deserves to be in the UFC, you know, before me. But I had, I remember whenever people were questioning my record, I, I, I said to them, look, mine is the most legit record in MMA. All the guys I fought have been top five, top 10 guys in their respective countries, you know. They just maybe not know on media-wise, but never confuse skill with fame. You know, those are completely different, you know, mm. things. You know, at one point, Conor, nobody knew Conor McGregor, and he was sparking motherfuckers left, right, and center for 400 euros a pop, you know. Uh, and, and I had actually a challenge out before. I said, listen, if you find me a European fighter that has a more legit record than mine, I will be the first one to get him into the UFC. I will be tweeting about him. I will, will be ready to fight him myself as a UFC fight. Whatever. I'll do anything possible to get that guy into the UFC. Now, step up. How many guys do you think came forward? Zero. 
not fucking one guy because they knew the moment they put their name there, I say, okay, let's have a look at your record. Mm, what's this? Pirate, 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 pirate. Fuck off out of here, pussy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, and I, I will say That's this. I do ringtone. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to keep that. Um, he, he probably could have got away with a lot of shit on the show and asked for preferential treatment. It probably would have happened, but never. You know, once he got in there, he didn't want anybody to be able to say, well, he got extra this or he got that. You know, it was once, you know, I would have put you on the show. I, you know, I stand by this no matter what. It's not my a decision 100 percent, but I have a lot to say in it because um, yeah. I don't like the padding. And you'll see people, you know, I've put people on the show. The guy that won it last season, it was two and oh against two guys with no wins. And I got mad shit about that. And he made it all the way to the finale. And I'm like, look, you know, I've watched him train. I've watched his amateur fights. Like, I think out of all the people right now, he has the best chance. I'm wrong about that shit. But um, Juliana Pena uh, was three and two coming off two losses when I put her on the show. Um, shit, Deanna's going to hate me because uh, this, this is the girl's shirt and she had just beat her and she ended up being an alternate and not making it in. But I, you know, I just saw something in her and she's, you know, she got hit by a car and ran over right before a fight, had a broken nose, was all fucked up. She still fought. The next loss, she got armbarred and broke her hand in half. Beast. Her arm was in half out of the socket hanging, and she was hitting the fucking ref with the other arm for stopping the fight. Like, that's the kind of shit that you don't teach. You could teach an armbar. You could teach a Kimura. You could teach that. You can't teach this guy walking forward for 15 minutes and just not stopping. You know, like that shit that the, the skills will come yeah. to a certain level if they have the hard work and the toughness and the determination. So I look for that over, you know, there's been all the Sage Northcuts in the world that had all the skills in the world and talent and now this, but gets cracked in the mouth and everything goes out the window. Like that's, that's why I asked that question earlier about blood. When some people see blood, they shut down, even if they're a fighter. Cause when I've seen fighters that have never seen blood before the first time you see blood, sometimes that throws you completely through a loop comes with the padding of the record too. Like you don't want to be 20 and oh, in the big stage and you never really got hit before. You know, you've never been in a That's war. That's a good point. You know, these. Maybe I'm just seeing people with padded records take their first real thump to the grave. Yeah, I, I talk about that all the time. Amateurs get losses. If you don't know jujitsu, fight the jujitsu guy. If you if you're not a boxer, fight the boxer. Like, yeah, get that done ahead of time. Get all the looks you can. If you never fought a tie fighter, when you get in that fucking tie clinch and you can't move your head and you're getting your fucking brains elbowed out, you don't want that in a title fight. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's so. It's a bad time to to get Definitely. your training. And that's what he was talking about earlier. It's just there's so many skill sets to know and to learn, you know, like short guys like me would have a terrible time with a TIE fighter that's long and you can't even get fucking near him. And when you do, they clinch up and you're stuck and, you know, bite. I'll, I would bite them personally, but you're not really allowed to do yeah. that in the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no rules. If there's no cage, there's no rules. Yeah. I'm going to own parts of you if I think I'm dying. Yeah. What's your favorite, what's your favorite discipline? Is it just straight up boxing? Like if there was one to choose from? Uh, no, I'll be honest. It, it depends in which, in which kind of a scenario you're asking me, you know, for, like practicing. I love jujitsu. It's honestly one of my favorite ones because it is such a great sport. You know, it, it makes you think a lot. It, uh, you know, in terms of injuries, it is very safe. You know, it is a sport you can practice into your late, late, you know, uh, years, uh, extremely effective, you know, uh, Great workouts for cardio, strength, everything, you know. I absolutely love it. But in terms of watching, you know, when you're watching jiu-jitsu competitions, my God, like, fucking hell, especially when they start playing this advantage point. What the <laughs> fuck is this? Like, how can you go home telling, I want an advantage point? What's that? What the fuck is that? Oh, I moved a little bit fucking something scarier than the other guy. 
I, I don't even know still what the fuck is an advantage point, you know? So uh, like, I don't like, <laughs> no idea what this yeah, is. I don't like that aspect, you know, but, uh, so in terms of like watching, you know, like a bare knuckle fight is, is a sure fucking excitement is, uh, you know, you can get any friends over, uh, to watch any card and you know, it's going to be good. You know, everyone is going to enjoy it and have a good time. And at the end of the day, when you're fighting for money, you have to provide entertainment, you know, you're in an entertainer, you know, uh, like jiu-jitsu tournaments you know the guys don't get paid so fair enough you know that's that's a different uh thing you know uh but in in fighting it's all about providing entertainment People don't you know? realize that sometimes you know obviously seeing connor blaze the path that way but you know and i love and respect every mm -hmm. fighter but i get the calls when the jake paul's in this of the world man you think that's fucked up he's getting 23 million dollars and i'm getting eight thousand i mean he's paying himself 23 million dollars no one's paying him that he, it's his company he promoted it like he went out there, exactly. done it. He's a fucking clown, and I wouldn't drink a beer with that asshole. But I respect the marketing, and like people should look at what's working out of that. <laughs> you know, there's something he's doing that that is working. Exactly. You know, yeah, he gets a cut of what he brings in. You know, but a lot of players they want to fucking they want to. You know, to me it's like, look, that's fair. You 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 bring a big fucking steak to the table, bring a big fucking deer and let's chop it up and we all eat but these motherfuckers are turning up with a packet of peanuts and they want to eat steak no fuck off out of here man you know it's I, I get the dedication but if no one wants to watch you and give you the money why is the company going to pay more than you're bringing in it's a hard conversation for somebody to hear that they're not as much of a uh, draw or that they're not bringing the same thing to the table even though they may be spending similar amounts of time doing the training if you're not if you're not drawing in the crowd why the hell would you even show up there there's nobody in the seats and especially in the ufc man these guys do such a great job at marketing if you're unable to fucking get noticed you know in the ufc sorry mate well then you don't deserve to get paid like that's just that's just the way it is you know what I mean? because they have so many cameras on you so many interviews so many days that the brand itself the ufc brand beside your name it means so much like you know what i mean i walked out of ufc on three consecutive losses and I walked into a massive six-figure contract, all because I was an ex-UFC fighter. You, you know, if I came from anywhere else, I wouldn't be able to demand that. But because I came from UFC, I could. You deserve it. The platform is given to you. You know, what are you going to do with it once you get it? It might be for one fight or three fights or 10 years. But when you get that stage, you know, look to exploit it for every dollar and every opportunity you can. Okay. You only get it once. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's tough because fighters have a mentality of being indestructible or they wouldn't have got this far in the first place. So they don't think about what if I get hurt or what if I get cut or, you know, if, what if this ends quickly, you know, every fighter wants to be and, and believes That's in their huge. mind. I think at some level that they're going to be the champion and I'll, I'll deal with that stuff once I get to that point. But yeah. unfortunately there's, you know, one out of a thousand maybe becomes the champion, you know, mm. more, more. Yeah. If even so. If even, I, I don't want to talk about the fake fucking champions, you know, like in boxing, there's, Fucking in the same weight class, there's six champions in the same weight class, all undefeated, never fought the And they're all world champions. There's a lot of belts out there, champions. man. <laughs> it's confusing. No, but that's even, the, they, by definition, you cannot have more than one world champion. Champion means the best of, and when it's world champion, the best of the world. So can, how can you have two or three or four? It's impossible. It's true. You know, it's uh, the good thing about the UFC, especially, it gets a lot of bad rap from for different things but nine out of ten times the two guys that are supposed to fight will eventually fight each other and you'll get to see it's not like well if this guy goes with yep. this network and this manager and this promotion then maybe five years from now they might fight like boxing it's like they're probably gonna fight if they're both meant to be you know it's a very good chance so
generally, if you want it bad enough and the other one does too, they make it happen. Yeah. Cause the fans usually want that too. We could tell. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. We're shaking up on an hour. I want to make sure that I take the time to thank you. Um, personally, I have a lot of respect for you, man. Um, I learned a lot about you today. Uh, the business aspect is super cool to hear. Um, you're a very intelligent man and you seem to have life by the balls from either direction. You should be proud of that. Especially I'm not as stupid as I look. No, no, no. I never try to judge anybody in those situations. In fact, I'll end on something. I had a friend that lost a front tooth because somebody threw something at him when we were in the army. He threw a remote to him and he come running in the room laughing and he was covering his, uh, his mouth. And he says, Clint just threw me the remote control and he knocked my front tooth out. And I'm like, bullshit. He pulls his hand down and it was gone. Sure as shit. He looked slow. He looked unintelligent. He looked poor. He looked a lot of things. And I did not like it. I didn't understand it at the time, but my brain was telling me he was somebody different. And he wasn't. He was the same man, same capabilities. So I appreciate you putting forward that you got to be authentic and take people for face value for what they actually bring to the table. So thank you so much for um, sharing everything with our academics. I genuinely appreciate it. You said it good, man. I really appreciate you coming out. Thank you for having me, guys, and thank you for listening. And remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care, they have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. 
I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. End of the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the end. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember academics, be cool and keep learning.